Warning, this podcast is known by the state of California to contain spoilers. Freddy's there every time I close my eyes. I don't see him because I don't believe in him. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I met Bradley Shergy. How why can I say my name? Damn it. I met Bradley Shergy. With me is William Thrasher. It happens to the best of us and the worst of us. Which one are you? That's right. And uh, this time around, we are... You might recall last time we took a look at the uh, pilot for Freddy's Nightmares called No More Mr. Nice Guy. Well, I did some digging, and that pilot actually has a sequel episode. And I thought, why don't we, you know, cover that? Because it's in spirit with Nightmare on Elm Street, and Freddy Krueger is in those. And maybe we get some plot nuggets. As it turns out... um. This one has much less to do with the Freddy Krueger mythos than, than I thought, but it's still an interesting episode to talk about. Uh, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 7, Sister's Keeper. And uh, and next week on the program, we will talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Er, sorry, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street five, er, 4. Shit. Yeah, we, Nightmare we, on Elm Street We'll be talking 4. about a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, sure. not a TV Th- show. That's we fine. do know that. Right. This is how the sausage is made. Um, yeah, so uh, for those that don't know, uh, Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare in Elm Street, the, the series, yes, that's the whole title for the TV show, which is absurd, um, was on uh, television in uh, 88 and 89, so when Nightmare in Elm Street was at its height in popularity, would you say that's fair? I think that's fair. Yeah, and um, my mistake, it looks like it aired from 88 to 90, whatever. Uh, so it, it got two seasons. It's an anthology so, show. Um, I think one thing that's a bit different is each episode is an hour long, and most episodes of the show have two stories that are, you know, 30 minutes apiece, more or less. However, um, this episode, and, and also the one we talked about last time, is a, a, a full-length episode, a whole hour-long program. So uh, it's... They don't always stick to that format. Uh, Freddy Krueger is often not in the stories, but sometimes he is. And uh, he's in this one, which is, you know, why we're talking about it. And um, he also sort of does the bookend segments, which the episodes sometimes have, sometimes don't. Most of the time they do. It just depends on the length. Uh, and it's a bit like, you know, Rod Sterling in the Twilight Zone, except there's more puns and usually some <laughs> uh, gross stuff going on. And it, it's worth mentioning again, this series was on network television, syndicated. So um, it, it could not get cannot have nudity, cannot have really extreme blood. Um, it was, you know, so in that sense, it's a bit neutered, but I think they do their best, and certainly there's creepy moments uh, in this particular episode we're talking about. And this one did have more blood than I expected. Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, when this stuff came out, you did not have the, the ratings on TV shows like you do now, TV, uh, what, TV 14 or something like that, TV MA. Um 
or is that the video game ratings? I don't really know. A- anyway, no, no, that that is, I believe that is the the TV ratings, but that just shows you how poorly they've been implemented. They've been implemented yeah. in our lifetime, and we have no idea what they mean or how they work. Hey, V chips, those are still a thing, right? Uh oh, and the the VCR plus code you get from TV Guide, where you can put in your VCR plus enabled uh, VHS player, and um, it'll automatically record the show without you putting in the time. Yeah, all, all these <laughs> convoluted technologies. This episode, Sisters Keeper, uh, season one, episode seven, uh, was directed by Ken Wiederhorn, and um, you know he's done some stuff here and, and there. I think he's perhaps. Best known for, actually, he did two um, feature film sequels, Meatballs Part 2 and Return of the Living Dead 2. Um, but he's also oh, done wow. a lot of television. More recently, he's branched out into documentaries about Las Vegas and the U.S. Marshals and that sort of thing. But he did seven episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, which is quite a lot. Um, also worked on the TV series, the original 21 Jump Street and um, Dark Justice, which I've never even heard of Dark Justice. I feel like Justice it's about a detective blind. named Anton Dark who fights Frankenstein's monsters or something. Uh, let's... Oh, this guy forms a vigilante group. His wife and daughter were murdered, but the judicial system failed him. Whatever. Um, I don't care. Were they murdered by a Freddy Krueger? Uh, why not? No, I don't know. It's <laughs> You know, it seems a bit... Uh, like like a death wish for TV concept or something, uh, but yeah, this episode Sisters Keeper. Uh, what are some of your um, initial thoughts? This is this is I, I guess okay. So the story the story isn't as good as it could be, but damned if this isn't a creepy episode. I, I, yeah, think, gets... I think the problem is too many too many things are going on. It doesn't mm-hmm. latch on to any one horrific premise and really spool it out. It it kind of it it keeps meandering. And every time a really good horrific premise is established, then the tone and the premise seems to change. It gets much better as it goes on. Sort of on on a high level, uh, listeners. What what the plot is of Sisters Keeper is. So, you might recall last week when we talked about the pilot, No More Mr. Nice Guy, uh, it was about a, you know, Freddy Krueger being burned to death and uh, and all that, his, his sort of origin story, if you will. But the main person behind it was it was a cop, and he had twin daughters. Well, this is about their twin daughters, all grown up. Their um, father is, is dead uh, because he, he died in his nightmares, as people tend to do with Freddy Krueger. And... There you go. And, and, and so, you know, the, the twin daughters, um, some mysterious things start to happen. It does the, the trope in these, these films and TV shows where you don't know if it's a dream or if it's reality, man. And, uh, and Freddy Krueger uh, starts to toy with the twins. And one, one of them is a nerd. Uh, or I don't know a nerd, really, but, you know, very sort of quiet. Well, well, the twin Lisa is, is the, the pretty and popular girl, but her identical twin Merritt is kind of bookish and unpopular and has a reputation for being, for being the school weirdo. They're, they're very much opposites. And it, and yeah. it, it's only thrown into sharp relief because initially Freddie only torments Merritt and that just leads her to becoming more isolated and uh, more withdrawn. Sure. Um, I found the acting at the beginning of this episode to be just appalling. 
I, I don't think that the actors that play the twins are very good. It's just very flat delivery. But then once the Freddy Krueger stuff starts coming in, it actually gets interesting, and, and you start to... Uh, um, I, I thought the actress that played the mother in this episode was, was pretty good. Yeah, she does a decent job. And you get the... Um, I mean, what early on there, there's like a, you, you know, I thought they they would do clips of of the pilot in this, but they don't, um, and it might have helped if they had. I don't know. I feel like it's I feel like it's better that they let this episode kind of stand alone. Although being seven episodes into an anthology series that you wouldn't expect to have continuity between episodes. I, I could see if you were watching this on TV as it happened, you might be you might be thrown off. Especially if you hadn't seen the pilot. I remember, because I remember uh, th- this show, uh, uh, me growing up in Norfolk, Virginia, this show was hard to find on the dial. I, I never even knew, knew this show existed. Um, speaking of syndicated things, you know, I was a, a fan, of, or still am a fan of Siskel and Ebert, but back when they, they had their show together, um, when I was watching it in the late 90s, uh, because it's syndicated, different markets aired it at different times. In Atlanta, Georgia, they would air it at 1 a.m. on Sunday morning. Ah! Like, it's for a very popular film criticism show. And, and I, you know, something like this might have had something similar, or maybe because it's sort of a, a horror show, uh, muted as it is for content, maybe it had to air later in certain markets. But can you recall, like, uh, in, in, in Norfolk, Virginia? Like what time it was on the TV? Was it like eleven PM or? I I don't remember. Uh, okay. All all I remember is I know I stumbled upon this show twice, but I do not remember anything about what parts of episodes that I saw. Sure. Um, one thing I find amusing is when it goes to a commercial, you see a title card that features a still from the episode, and there's a lot of custom title cards, which is different instead of just a generic. Welcome to commercials, bitch. Right? I don't know what they would say. But, well, well, you know. some episodes did have those breaks, but I found that those are mm. cut out of a lot of. We, so this is a hard series to find. Apparently, it didn't yeah. have a, a North American DVD release. So there are certain streaming sites that that have it with varying, you know, varying levels of 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 authenticity. Well, yes. yeah, well, and, and also quite quite poor quality too. Um but often the, often the Freddy interstitials are cut out. Why would you do that? Hmm. Freddy's the reason you're tuning into this series. Right. Uh don't know. You know, in the United States, we had a release on on videotape of the first few episodes. Uh in the UK in in Ireland, they they had a, a DVD release of the first three episodes. It did not sell well, so they didn't do any more. Um more recently on on TV, different I think the the Chiller uh, horror themed um, premium channel picked it up, and then uh, more recently in the United States, El Rey Network has been showing it, and I don't know Ooh. if they've been remastering it for HD, but I've heard some of the better um, rips of the show have been from that. But basically, if you want to see this in the U.S., you either have to browse a million streaming sites to try and track it down. Or you have to, uh, you know, get a bootleg on eBay or something. And, and we're not advocating that. I'm just saying what the current situation is to get the show, uh, to, to watch the show as of this recording. And yet... I'd love it, to pay money for this on DVD. I want me too, but right? they won't and, let me. Yeah, and the dumb thing is, in 2011, and, and I believe we repeated some of this last episode, but it's worth mentioning because, you know, any episode could be a listener's first. 
Um, what was I trying to say here? Oh yeah, something about twenty eighteen or uh, twenty eleven. Yep. Um, ah. There was a, a Blu Ray set uh, of the first seven Nightmare on Elm Street films, where I think uh, the initial Nightmare on Elm Street gets its own disc, and then the, its double features for the rest of the series, and it had a, a bonus disc that had two episodes from Freddy's Nightmares on it. Um, not in high definition, but it's not like the pilot, which you think, well, if you're doing a Nightmare on Elm Street movie set and you're having bonus episodes from the TV show, <laughs> wouldn't you want the Freddy Krueger origin story? You'd think. Were, were they just completely random episodes? It, it appears to be, yeah. Wow. It, quite odd. Um, so th- that's the only way you can legally see the show currently in, in the U.S. Uh, on, on physical media. But um, hopefully this will get a release someday. I do know, uh, recall Friday the 13th had an anthology series, and that did get a release um, in the U.S., or, or at least Canada, because I've seen it around in some stores. Um, have you ever seen that show? I never have. Wait, which show? Friday the 13th. No, I, I know that the, the premise is that it's a bunch of people who, like, inherit a weird curiosity shop full of haunted objects, and the only connection it has yeah. to Friday the 13th is that the first episode, the haunted object, is Jason Voorhees' hockey mask. Sure, I mean, that's a very loose connection, and at least, uh, at least from these episodes we've watched so far, Freddy's Nightmares, they fit in with the tone of the TV shows, you know, it's typically like high school or college students. And they have nightmares, and you know, there's a lot of surrealism, and stuff happens. But let's uh, let's get back to talking about the Sisters Keeper <laughs> episode. Um, I was getting like Saved by the Bell flashbacks watching this. It it kind of has that look to it, and like because all, all the moments that are that are waking moments, or at least that you think are waking moments, are shot in a very bland, very matter of fact way. But I think that's intentional because once the show goes into nightmare land the direction gets more bizarre and it causes those nightmare mm. segments to stand out a bit more. Not just that the lighting often changes, but uh, also what's kind of a giveaway, which is too bad, is the music. It plays the spooky music when it's a nightmare. And it's like, uh, yeah. a few times I'm like, ah oh, man, you know, it's a nightmare. I would have liked to have uh, been kept in the dark a bit. But, um, so you mentioned that it's the, uh, what's the what's the nerd twin? Is it Meridian? Uh, no, it's names. a merit. Merit. What the hell which, is merit? Which sounds like a, a good old, like a, a good old merit. Puritan settler name. Yeah, that's funny. It's merit because we just uh, had friends over for a party last night, and uh, they were mentioning, um, you know, they one of their friends had a kid named Merit, and then my wife thought Merit sounds like the name of like a newspaper reporter in the '30s. <laughs> Come on, Merit, you got to write this story. The name's Scoop Merit. What's the loadout on this paper? <laughs> Missed it by that much. Um, Would you so, believe two push-ups and a deep breath? Well, we just turned into Don Adams there. We did. Uh, go, go, gadget, sidetrack. This is why I don't want to stand up comedian. Um, Sister's <laughs> Keeper is a show, is a episode that... Um, I love you get, you get a good character piece between the two twins. and And they're referring to their dad who died and... Uh, Merritt believes in Freddy Krueger, and the the popular one Lisa does not. And and they make a stress they they stress a point, and they actually talk about this in some of the films too, uh, especially the first one. I think you know if if you don't believe him in uh, Freddy Krueger, he doesn't exist. It is your belief in him that keeps him uh, powerful. 
Well, well, the other thing is, I liked I like that no one gives up the game in this episode that the parents murdered uh, murdered Freddy Krueger. I like that the girls never find that out. They just know that they're being tormented by Freddy in their dreams. And I like that Lisa says, well, you know, Dad just couldn't handle it. I mean, she's really tormenting Merritt and being very mean about it. Yeah. Um, it's... But it also feels very real. Siblings do get can get very mean to each other, and because they know each other really well, because they grew up with them, right? It's oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. It it's just it just felt like a pretty real moment, uh, and it's just a, a shame the the twins' acting is just I just found so flat and bad, and I don't know if it's just the script or the directing or or what the why why that's the case, but it it just feels like a, a soap opera or something. Well, I think the actresses are really twins, so like I guess there there can't be all that many twins working both in 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 acting. Mm, uh-huh. So you got to kind of take what take what you can get. I, I think so. I mean, the only the only uh, twins I remember in media were in certain Playboy centerfolds, but that's neither here nor there. Um, or the Roselli twins from the Critic. Were the Gianna sisters from the platforming European game? Um, hey, remember Tia and Tamara from Sister Sister? No. Okay. Well, that's, that's okay. My... Jack A was on that show as well. But Sister's Keeper. Um, all right, so <laughs> I mentioned earlier that the show kind of moves in and out of different, like, horrific premises. Because um, mm-hmm. initially we just get the paranoia and the isolation when Merritt is the only one being tormented uh, by Freddy. But one of the most effective sequences in this episode, and I really wish this was the the heart of the episode, um, is that there's an episode where, where uh, you know, Merritt has a nightmare and, uh, and Lisa's part of that nightmare. When Merritt wakes up, uh, Lisa's gone. And when Merritt mm-hmm. goes downstairs, everyone calls her Lisa and when she talks about her sister, everyone's like, don't you know, you're an only child. You don't have a sister. And yeah. there's this really creepy paranoia to the point where I was wondering, wait, wait a minute. Is the sister a fiction that she comes up with in her dreams? Or ah. Has she been crazy yeah. the whole time? Like, I this was the episode at its best. I wish this had been the premise was keeping you guessing whether or not there there was one child or two. Because it really was creepy, and and her this was one of those instances where where the actress uh, playing Merritt, her reactions to things, her acting style really worked to sell this sort of shock and paranoia of this of this horrific scenario. And I I also like the the thread in this episode, um, and they focus on this one perhaps a bit too much, but uh, and, and this is based on a real thing where sometimes twins might feel pain that the other twin is experiencing. And uh, initially we have a nightmare where uh, Merritt gets you know, scratched by, by Freddy or something. And she has a scratch, but then the scratch appears on her sister's neck. Yeah. And her sister is awake at the time. Cause she's making out with her boyfriend, which is, which that's is a, right. a creepy thing. Yeah. And I, I thought, well, that's really effective and, and interesting. And it well, reminded I, me, Oh, go on. Well, and it, it helps make the fact that these that that Lisa doesn't believe in Freddie more realistic because she thinks that her boyfriend gave her the scratch with his busy hands. Yeah, which is a perfectly uh, reasonable alibi, and it it just keeps keeps you guessing. And also that Merritt is considered um, 
you know, not not just a nerd or a kook, but I mean, really crazy. People often don't believe what she's saying. And she also makes her kind of an unreliable narrator, as it were. The um, the boyfriend of Lisa is straight out of central casting. <laughs> looks like he, a guy. He in looks his like late... a Saved by the Bell extra. Uh, right, or you know, perhaps one of the jocks in the Revenge of the Nerds three, the Next Generation, or something. It's he's. Uh, but it, it did make me think, you know, the way he was very grabby and pushy with Lisa. Um, I, I know this episode came out a while ago, but I couldn't help from thinking about uh, uh, modern events uh, in the news where, uh, rightfully so, um, uh, actors and producers in Hollywood are being called for inappropriate behavior. Mm. With uh, Harvey Weinstein and um, Kevin Spacey, and there's all sorts of stuff coming out of the woodwork, and there's going to be more. Because um, I think... Yeah, I don't know. You can't get away with that stuff anymore. Um, and you shouldn't have been able to get away with it to begin with. But, I mean, the the boyfriend in this episode is just very, very uh, pushy and, and, like, borderline rapey. Um, which is interesting, but also true to form. I mean, high school uh, kids, you know, just don't have, um, don't always uh, uh, treat uh, their partner or their you know, their hookup with respect or whatever. I mean, people are all different um, in that regard. And it just struck me as another realistic detail. So something else that comes up in this episode, we've, we've seen this in, in, in the previous two nightmare films where the kids try, because eventually, eventually uh, Lisa does start to believe in Freddie after a particularly effective dream so this is one. So the special effects in this series are are better than I expected. I have but been correct. impressed yeah. with the special effects in both episodes we've seen, and in this one, one of the best effects is there's a dream featuring both sisters, and Freddie has one of the sisters captured, uh, and decides he wants to go after the other one who's trying to run away. So his claw hand like fires out on like this tentacle made of slime and meat. And it oh is yeah, a gross effect, and it's a practical effect, and it looks so good. Yeah, it's very dripping. Um, I also should mention the way Freddy Krueger's face looks in this TV series is quite good and quite on model. Um, I, I, I assume I don't know if they use the same stuff from the the film or whatever. I see Kevin Yeager is credited with doing the face, which he did the the Freddy makeup. Or I think he was in charge of all the special effects, really, for Nightmare on Elm Street two, three, and four. And um, yeah, I yeah, feel Freddy like they Kr- have to be using the the movie grade facial applications for him. Yeah, it's quite. It's not a rubber mask. It's quite good, and you you get all that viscera and the goop on his face, the Vaseline on his face. Um, it, yeah, it, but that that moment you mentioned is good. I also like uh, in, in one of the nightmares, uh, Merritt is in her bed, and you know as they do in these shows, they try not to fall asleep, and then they fall asleep, and. Uh, the blankets. Oh, I love that bit where they have like the twelve alarm clocks. Oh yeah, no, that's that stuff's always fun. But you get the blankets um, get pulled off of her, and she's like, "What's happening?" And then when the blankets come back on her, it's the colors of Freddie's sweater. Oh, and it does that weird vacuum form thing over her, yes. and like tries to crush all the air out of her lungs. Yeah, that that's a very well executed scene. The nightmares in this episode are flawless. 
flawless and creative, and it shows, you know, not... I mean, the, the thing you mentioned with Freddy's elongated hand, or sort of like a bloody Mr. Fantastic or something, <laughs> th that was a bit bloody, but for the most part, they're, like, they're bloodless, but it still manages to be creepy, so good on them. Like, you know, because you could easily screw up the dream sequences so easy. Yeah, and in fact, uh, the, the blood... I mentioned the blood earlier. We do see blood mainly on the scratches the girls get when they wake up, and yet... Those scratches are bloodier than I think anything I had seen up on television into the late 90s. Uh, did you notice one of uh, Freddy dialogue, one of Freddy's pieces of dialogue is a lyric from a song? He uh, says, dream a little dream for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, gets a, he gets a couple of good lines like, hey, you want to, you ever had a real man in your bed, Lisa? I, I like that one because it's he, he's doing this like come hither pose. It's just so do, silly, do, but there always is a, action. A, the ton action, of course, and uh, there, there's also just sexual frustration inherent in Freddy Krueger, and they they <laughs> never outright get into the um the the, the darker uh, uh, aspects of him being a child rapist or a child killer. Well, or, well he, or it's established it that he that he only killed the children, and I've I, and I've done, and we probably should talk about that. I've yeah, done yeah. a lot of thinking about that. I think it is better that they make him a child murderer rather than a child molester who also kills children. I feel like that level of sexual violence would make this too horrific and not fun. Well, in the um, original conception, Wes Craven did have him be a molester and a killer, but he thought even that was too uh, too dark, or maybe New Line didn't want him to do that. I, I don't. I'm not quite sure in the particulars as of why. But I believe in the remake, um, they changed quite a bit with the origin story that eventually when we get to that, and uh, for listeners that don't know, we're covering the first five Elm Street films, and then we're going to move on to other stuff. But we'll come back and finish the series at a later date to, um, you know, just split it up, keep things fresh. But yeah, um, so I mean, you're right, but it's... Uh, also, the, uh, we, uh, the, the, the makeup for Freddy Krueger's face looks good. But also the voice, the way they pitch the voice sounds just like the movies. And of course, it's Robert England doing Freddy Krueger. I mean, that makes oh, all yeah. the difference in the world. If you had uh, Stuntman number seven, and no offense to Stuntman, but you know, if you had just, just anyone else doing it for the TV show, people can tell the difference. And, uh, it, and that with uh, Robert England's crazy schedule with all the time it takes to put the prosthetics on that he still is willing to, to do things with the TV show, it, it's really quite something. Well, I guess the one advantage of the TV show is they could probably fill all of the interstitials over a weekend. So, well, oh yeah, a few yeah. weekends, sure. And yeah. They're brief enough that you know he doesn't have to go through the makeup process too many times. And the budget on the show, I think, for the pilot was pretty high, but it, it got progressively lower for each episode, <laughs> and, and they really had to be creative about it. Um, you know, some of the other. It, there's a lot of noticeable horror directors that worked in the show, including Mick Garris, who did like the stand miniseries on TV. Um, Tom McLaughlin has done a lot. And, uh, well, they could, they could only afford pre fame Brad Pitt. True. And also John Cameron Mitchell of Hedwig and the angry inch fame, uh, is in an episode. <laughs> um, you know, also, uh, uh, Robert England directed an episode or two of the series, which is always cool to see. Also a member of the Pussycat Dolls. So, oh really? Yes. I had no idea. That? 
Don't you wish your Freddy was a nightmare like me? Um, okay. So. <laughs> oh, that would be great to see him do a twisted sort of burlesque routine. Okay, so it turns so it turns out that at at their high school they have a psychology class that both the twins are in, and they end up getting involved with the psychology teacher to like to to basically sort of like learn lucid dreaming techniques and learn this thing to keep them in sync. Yes, because they have they yep. have this they they come up with this plan that the two of them combined might have enough willpower to defeat Freddy and can take control of the dream. And so, like, you know, there's there's this kind of creepy scene where he has them where he has them both hypnotized in front of the class and they're doing things in sync and they keep referring to themselves again. They they keep answering to the same name, which echoes back to Merritt's dream where she's Lisa and only Lisa exists. And also, there's a scene earlier. Surprise! Surprise! We didn't mention where there's this fancy party going on and Merritt dresses up all fancy and just kind of looks at herself in the mirror and calls herself Lisa and talks about how popular she is in a French accent. This is again, I wish they did more with this, with this thread. It comes back here, but it, it, it doesn't go anywhere. Well, when we get the interesting scene where Merritt as presenting herself as Lisa gets, um, the, the boyfriend, uh, alone in a room, right? And oh then, yeah. And then he, I thought that was, that might've been my favorite part of the episode because they're sort of playing on the, the twin fantasy thing. And he's like, Oh, this is like one of those things you read in the letters of the magazine. Oh um, yeah. He makes a reference <laughs> to the, the penthouse uh, letters. The penthouse. Column. I penthouse never thought form. it would happen to me. <laughs> I don't know why. Whenever I imagine those letters, I imagine Ringo stars, the one reading them. That, that would be a great, you know, thing for audible. Wouldn't it? Ringo star reads penthouse selections. So then I was, there were two, there were two sisters, twins. The, the waterfall, it was very loud, but not as loud as what happened afterwards. I don't know, that, that was a terrible Irish. It didn't even sound like Ringo. <laughs> Frosted Lucky Charms, they're magically delicious. Well, they had some capital knockers, they did. Speaking of capital, the capital records contract really screwed me in 1983. Peace and love, peace and love. All right. Now, if you don't uh, mind, can... I'm going to get a piece. Oh. <laughs> a piece. Of, uh, no, if you don't mind, I'm going to get a piece of love. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> terrible. Um, sister's but, keeper. But it leads to some creepy scenes, because after that, the twins make a point to dress in a very similar fashion and to always speak together. And that is kind of creepy. It is. You know, it's a bit like The, the Shining and a bit... Um, I believe in the pilot episode, didn't it feature the twin daughters doing the Freddy Krueger song? I feel like it did, yeah. Or it had some of that imagery, at least, with the jump rope. One, oh, two, yeah. Freddy's coming for you. Yeah. Um, so it's, that sense of continuity with, with the pilot is nice, although they don't make the, they don't harpen the connection. It's like, if you know that, it helps with the, you, you feeling sad for these sisters. But otherwise, I mean, this episode also works as a standalone, which is good because it was a tv show and stuff in syndicated the episodes are often aired out of order anyway oh yeah i would not be surprised if this came before the episode where the their father died <laughs> yeah probably so i mean you uh geez and then no oh, like i'm just thinking of you know there's been dvd pressings where the episodes are in totally random order of different shows and then people complain and you have to look on the what the correct order is blah 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 um 
so Since we do get a final confrontation where they they intentionally yes, they sync yeah. up their dreams and they go into the dream to fight Freddy. That's and their right. whole strategy is they're going to enter the dream, but then disbelieve in Freddy to make him go away. Which, yep. like every other time they someone's tried to defeat <laughs> Freddy, it works until it doesn't. But it, it it's still a fun fake out, and uh, Robert England seems to take real glee in his dialogue at that point because he's like. Ah, that's not how it works. Uh, he's just really being a jerk to him. I make the rules here. Yeah, he's chasing him around, and uh, uh, it, it it's fun seeing Freddy Krueger run around a suburban house. I don't know what it is, but it's him chasing screaming twins around. Well, like seeing is, him in a real location is, is often creepier than seeing him in a nightmarish, exaggerated boiler room. Yeah, because, you know, in the Nightmare world, it's Freddy's turf, and he can do whatever... He's like God, right? He can do whatever he wants. And, um... In fact, that's one of the good things about the movie Freddy vs. Jason, is it has... It plays both sides of that coin. But we're not talking about Freddy vs. Jason. We're talking about Sister's Keeper, Season but, 1, Episode 7 of Freddy's Nightmares. But as we said, their their plan to disbelieve Freddy out of their dreams works until it doesn't. And Lisa dies in the dream, and when Merritt wakes up, when the alarms go off, she wakes up, and in the bed next, and in the, the bed that's next to her in that bed is Lisa, dead and uh, all bloody, and there's slash marks everywhere. Right, and the mom's freaking out. Like, I love that part. Like, what did you do? What did you do? And she's like, no, 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 she died trying to protect me. Yeah. It's a, it's pretty heavy. It's, and then it's a nice get... shocker to end the episode on. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost Lovecraftian, right? It's like, no matter what you can do, you're doomed. And, and it makes you wonder how long until Freddy decides to go after Merritt, you know? And mm, this time, Merritt's mm. going to be alone in that fight. Uh, what did you think of the Freddy gag at the end of the episode? Uh, which uh, Freddy gag? It, it, so it, you get a little shot, although this episode doesn't get an introduction by Freddy Krueger, you get a shot at the end. Uh, Freddy is standing between two statues of twins. Oh, yeah, and, and the statues are conjoined, and he, like, uh, cuts them in, he cuts them apart, and, like, now I can tell them apart, and then pushes, knocks them over. Yeah, right. that was a nice visual, I like that. It would have been nice to see them shatter, but you don't, they just sort of fall off camera. <laughs> well, I mean, those are, those are store mannequins. Those are store mannequins in wigs yeah. that they use some sort of putty to make it look like they were attached and uh, whenever he does those bookend segments, it's always sort of in the nightmare world, I think, with the, the yeah. lighting. And um, certainly on YouTube, they have super cuts of the, the bookend segments. Yeah, I know there's, there's one where he's uh, dressed as a rap DJ <laughs> working turntables. Yeah, and uh, are you familiar with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, Freddy Krueger got his own album. Yes, I had heard of that. It is called... It's the Monster um, Mash of its day. Oh, what the hell? I, I can't find the name of it, but basically it's it's full... I've listened to it, though. It is full of um, songs related to dreams, like Dream a Little Dream and whatnot. And after all that, it has... Uh, sort of Freddy is the DJ. He's the, he's the MC, right? So he'll introduce things or kind of laugh in the background as studio backup singers do covers. Oh, these, it's uh, Freddy's Greatest Hits. That's God. Yeah. flat out what it's called. But yeah, it's got, see, Do the Freddy, uh, Obsession, <laughs> Wooly Bully. Oh, that's great. Don't Sleep yeah. in, in the Midnight Hour. 
Uh, all yeah. I have to do is dream down in the boiler room, Elm Street dreams, dance or else. Yeah, so some original tunes, some covers. It's it's not not great to be honest, but it's sort of funny to hear uh, Robert England as Freddy Krueger doing his shtick. I mean, that shows just how I, I believe uh, during Freddy's um, you know heightened popularity, he did host uh, MTV for like half a day or something, where they have guest people do bumpers for the music videos. Yeah, and I believe he showed up on an early version of the MTV Video Music Awards. Uh, I bet that's right. That wouldn't surprise uh, the, me. Oh, and, and and it's not as if that's the only time Freddie would show up in music, because, of course, you've got the, the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff did uh, Nightmare on My Street, which I recently found out they did that on their own, and it was Unauthorized. Like so- yeah, it was unauthorized. Like it was sort of so early in their career, they just kind of thought, "Oh, everyone's gonna love it." But they did like illegally sample the 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 Freddy or the Nightmare on Elm Street musical sting. Um, but of course, the Fat Boys did the authorized version. Are you ready for Freddy? So that's two uh, classic or classic era rap songs done based on uh, Freddy Krueger. Well, and Freddy Krueger was in a uh, legitimate rap video as part of a track. For the soundtrack album uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, he was with uh, the Fat Boys in Are You Ready for Freddy? Yeah. And, um, in fact, in, in later interviews, Robert England said he had so much fun doing that music video with the Fat Boys, he wished they would have done a feature film, sort of, you know, a modern version of Abbott and Costello, except it would be the Fat Boys with Freddy Krueger. That, and, okay, that uh, would not awesome. Those, yeah. those Abbott and Costello movies where they would meet the Universal Monsters are great, and I, I am shocked that that has never been attempted with a modern horror icon. I mean, yes, you've got you've got a lot of you've got a lot of shitty parodies. Scary movie, ha- yeah. But like none where like it is like it is like a comedian or group of comedians flat out interacting with the horror icon. I mean that that would be great or like do a Cheech and Chong's do Cheech and Chong's <laughs> nice mirrors where it's Cheech and Chong. They, there's like oh, there a you go. like they, they start smoking weed that grew over Freddy's unmarked grave. So whenever they get high, they're tormented by Freddy. But then he gets a contact high and is never able to kill them. Yeah, there, there's a lot, you know, horror and comedy are sort of uh, country cousins, if, if it were. Because they both are about suspense, except with comedy, at the end you get a laugh. And at horror, at the end you sort of jump. Although a lot of times in horror films, after a scare, people laugh um, to sort of feel comfortable, um, whether they do or not. So, But yeah, no, I think that's that's a cool idea. And uh, I don't think we should or need to move on to the next segment. Um, I, do you think we really need to do a pitch a sequel segment for this? Because I don't think it's necessary well i mean the the sequel has got to be about like lisa in a mental institution uh okay, trying to convince yeah. people that freddie is a real palpable threat and freddie is just sort of tormenting her but using her to get to the other the other people in the institution so the way the way i'm imagining it is that if she if if she scares somebody by telling them about one of her Freddy nightmares, they will then have that same nightmare uh, if they feel real fear, and that's when Freddy gets to them. But Freddy doesn't want to kill uh, Merritt because Merritt's spreading the nightmare. So, like, he just keeps he wants her to stay terrified. So it would have to end. It would have to end with Merritt, I guess, taking her own life to sort of end the mimetic threat of Freddy. 
I think if I were doing it and make it focus uh, on the mother and she starts to have dreams of her, her dead husband and she just wants to um, re reunite with him and her dead husband uh, commands her to uh, to kill people and it's sort of like a Hellraiser situation and uh, and she does it but then the twist at the end is that the husband giving her the commands is, is really Freddy and... Uh, you know, I'm shocked more things like that don't happen because Freddy can disguise himself in dreams. Right, but he, um, I think of him almost as like a a cat that likes to, in the, the teens or the mice, right? He likes to play and toy with the victims. He's uh, <laughs> yeah. sadis sadistic, uh, but he also loves puns, so he's not all that bad, right? Um, well, I don't know, because some, some people might say that makes him worse. <laughs> I guess, but it also makes him more... I think that's why he's one of the more likable horror icons from the 80s. I suppose... So. Well, well, that's the thing, is he does... As it goes on, he does become a murderous Bugs Bunny. Yes, and he... Um, and he talks, right? You know, I, I think the the, um, the character is probably the horror icon from that uh, era that's most similar to Freddy Krueger is uh, Chucky from Child's Play. And that they, they talk... They both have, they, a, lot they have a lot of personality. Of, I mean, Mike Myers, a, a lot of Mike Myers and Jason Voorhees, they don't yeah, have don't. personality. They're just a presence. Right. But I like that you could have a conversation with Freddy Krueger. And uh, I think to the le to a lesser extent, um, Leprechaun and Hellraiser, I mean, it's those are totally quite different. But it's uh, in some ways cut from the same cloth. And yeah, I would rather have a horror icon that talks that um, because... Uh, Although I like Halloween and Friday the 13th, if they're just this monosyllabic uh, force, it's like, okay, well, what? I mean, we're just going to get away from him and we can never get away from him. Like, there's less opportunity for conflict or humor or, yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh... but yeah, no, I do enjoy Freddy Krueger and it's been fun talking about these episodes. I too would like to track down the whole series of Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. Uh, so, uh, Thrasher, I have a question for you. What you What's watching? That? What you watching? Well, I, uh, I, I had a, I had a, uh, a day. So, uh, short, short version is uh, other day. Myself, my wife, uh, a friend of ours, and her husband. We we hung out at her at our friend's place, and we just kind of worked on our own like sort of personal crafting projects. But we watched various movies throughout this this period. And I had the unique uh, and somewhat disappointing pleasure to uh, introduce uh, everybody there to Doctor Who and the Daleks, which is one of the two Peter Cushing Doctor Who movies. Is that uh, the first or the second one? That's the first, uh, which is now available. It's now available on some streaming services. Hmm. And, and like it, it was at one point available on VHS, and then it kind of vanished for a long time. Now it's turned back up on streaming. Um, and like we we had a good time watching it, but it is a bad movie. Do you think the second movie is better? Oh no, no! The second movie is much worse. And what's and the, the second, the second one movie's worse only because Bert Bernard Cribbins is in it, and he was known as a comic actor. So they keep giving him all this comic shtick to do. And when he's doing comic shtick, you're just watching him flail around on screen, and no sci-fi adventure is happening. Uh, so, how you're a huge Doctor Who fan, Thrasher. Oh, yes. Um, how, how do you think Peter Cushing carries himself as the he, Doctor? He does, like, I don't, I don't like the physicality he brings to the role because 
he he's trying to be a mischievous kind of rascally old man, which is a great way to do the doctor, but he he keeps doing this sort of hunched over jaunty walk that looks it looks very unnatural on him. Um so I don't like his physicality in the role, but I love the personality he brings to it because he, he is rascally. Like he is, he is rascally and he always sounds a little bit befuddled, but he also sounds like he's sort of experiencing the wonder of the universe all the time. So it's, so in that sense, it is a wonderful and very worthy interpretation of the doctor to, to the point where it is kind of amazing that he never, that after these two movies, he never came back to the role in some way. Hmm. I mean, there was there were plans for a third movie, but it it never got made because the first two movies, strangely enough, were too profitable. What? Okay, so th- there's a documentary, uh, Dalek Mania, that that talks about this because it's it's kind of it's a it's a documentary about the cultural impact of the Daleks outside of the Doctor Who television series, um, and so the the short the short version is. Um, Movie releases were different in in the uh, the the sixties when when these movies came out. Where essentially you'd put out a movie, and the movie might stay in theaters for years, and it might not be years until that movie turned a profit. And essentially, if you were if you worked on the movie, you'd be paid some up front, but then when the movie turned a profit, you would be paid more. Uh, now the downside of this kind of system is that it gives the people who make the movie a lot of incentive to hide how profitable the movie is, uh, and so that so as a result, it kind of gives them a way to delay payment or, in many cases, flat out screw people out of money. Uh, you'll hear that a lot about if you learn about the making of the Carry On films. Uh, a lot of the actors in that got screwed out of a lot of money, but the short version is that happened with with the Doctor Who movies is that the the Doctor Who and the Daleks was an overnight success. It became so profitable so fast and was such an undeniable success that they that the makers of the movie couldn't hide how profitable it was. Um, so when a sequel was decided to be made, uh, all the actors demanded more money, demanded more money up front. Uh, and the way they financed the second movie is that there was... There was some British serial, uh, like something Pops or or, or something like that, that agreed to co-finance the movie. So as a result, even though the movie takes place on a post-apocalyptic Earth, the only things that have survived are billboards and vending machines for this particular serial. And in fact, some characters are shown to eat it. But the second movie was... Again, a, a super popular uh, and turned a profit very, very early. And this time, all the actors, knowing what happened with the first movie, were sort of like they, they were all doing a collective "fuck you, pay me" to the makers of the Daleks' invasion of Earth, the second Doctor Who movie. Um, and a third, a third movie was planned, but it didn't get made because the. The makers of the the makers of the movie were kind of sons of bitches and didn't didn't couldn't figure out how to withhold a bigger cut from the actors to keep for themselves because there was no way they could there was no way they could sort of put off the movie being profitable. I uh, did not realize that Doctor Who has had uh, over eight hundred episodes to date with two hundred seventy five stories according to Wikipedia. Uh, what I mean when I say stories is, especially a lot of the older Doctor Who episodes 
we'll, we'll have one plot line that goes over five episodes or so. Yeah, it was originally serialized. It's serialized. Although um, the, the newer stuff typically is not, although you might get a few two-parters in there. They, they do a two, there's a few two-parters. There is the rare three-parter, and usually the mm. three-parter is reserved for when a doctor uh, ends their run. Sure. Um, and those have a lot of cameos from former doctors, typically. Great. So, um, yeah, all, all very interesting stuff. And uh, were the people you were watching it with, had they seen Doctor Who at all, or were they confused? Or I'm sorry, uh, you, you broke up there. What did you say? Oh, so you mentioned you watched it with uh, some friends while you were doing some crafting, uh, arts and crafts. Had they been familiar with Doctor Who at all, or were they? Oh yeah, yeah, they, they, they oh, all okay. knew Doctor Who. So. They had all they'd all seen Doctor Who, <clears throat> but yeah. they didn't know about this movie. I see. Um, and and yeah, make so, no mistake, it is a bad movie, but it's still very entertaining in, in an old camp British sci-fi way. Neat. Um, so as as of this recording, you know, uh, another Marvel movie uh, just came in theaters. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. And uh, I have not seen that yet. Uh, It's playing down the street. I plan on seeing it. But I'm quite behind on on the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so I I noticed on uh, Netflix, uh, my wife and I saw Doctor Strange was on there. And I said, oh, oh, let's let's give that a watch. And we shut it off after 20 minutes. Really? Yeah, I thought it was quite bad. Now, I, I will say, full disclosure, I've never read Doctor Strange, the comic. I know... Next to nothing about the character, except uh, I've seen some of the covers, so it's like pretty trippy visuals, and I know Steve Ditko did the original, eh, well, like 20-issue run of the comic, something like that. And um, it, it's a lot of um, you know, showing what an asshole uh, Doctor Strange, as played by Benedict Cumberbatch, is. And it, it, I just find it a really, really slow-plotting uh, start, and I, I also could not shake Benedict Cumberbatch's um, bad American accent. It's like a Tim Curry level of accent where you can't quite decide what they're combining to make them sound like what they are. <laughs> it's it, it, my wife thought he was trying to do a little bit of Southern. I I thought he was you know trying to trying to neutralize the British part, but it still had the annotations of his normal speaking voice. It's like no American accent I've heard of. Why didn't they just keep him British? It's puzzling. Yeah, they, they could have kept him British. Uh, I, I didn't find his American accent too bad, although I think that's only because I've been exposed to enough British actors <laughs> doing sure. horrendous American accents that yeah. on the scale of horrendous American accents, his is the best. <laughs> Though it is, though it is undeniably horrendous, um, you know it's it's funny that that's why why you turned it off because most most people I find who didn't like that movie um, got completely turned off because they do a great job of making Doctor Strange an asshole in the in the first half of the film. I liked that he was an asshole. I didn't have a problem with that part, but no, I did too. It, and it make it makes yeah. it, it makes his redemption at the end all the the more palpable. Sure, I think and. Um... Yeah, I mean, the, the the combat scenes I saw reminded me too much of The Matrix. Uh, some of the stuff with the buildings, you know, sort of warping and spinning around. Uh, I could have just not been in the right mood for this film. I, I, I rarely turn a movie off, especially if I'm watching it with my wife, because we, um, we tend to watch more television than movies together. And if we watch a movie, we tend to finish it. I mean, the last time we stopped a movie, uh, it was the uh the new um national lampoon vacation movie hmm. 
which was dreadfully unfunny. Um, and for a comedy to be so bad that you turn it off, it has to be pretty bad. So, <laughs> there I, you go. I would, I would recommend giving the movie another chance. Uh, it yeah, does, you it know, I, I think I'll, it goes. Uh, I'll finish it as it goes on, but we still need to catch up on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and uh, uh, Spider, whatever, Spider-Man Spider Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, uh, before seeing Thor Ragnarok. Although, I have a feeling um, both of those have little to do with Thor Ragnarok. I, I will say you don't need to see those to, to get what's going on in Thor Ragnarok. Oh, did did you see Thor Ragnarok? Uh, yes, I was going to save it for the next okay. episode, but I have. Oh, seen I see. Thor okay, Ragnarok. yep. So so save it for that. And uh, great. Okay, so um, next week on Sequel Cast Two, we'll be talking about a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It to, to be decided which one, depending on how I release, what order I release these episodes in. <laughs> but uh, I, I imagine it's going to be Elm Street um, Four, the Dream Master, and then uh, sort of as a sneak peek. After we cover Elm Street 5, uh, you know, a few weeks down the road, The Dream Child, uh, what's our next movie series, Thrasher? Oh, so we, we did uh, we did some talking about this. The next series we're going to do, we are going to do the Shia LaBeouf Transformers trilogy. That's right. So that's, uh, for those uh, keeping track at home, that's Transformers, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, and Transformers Dark of the Moon. God, that's such a bad title. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. So, yeah, it'll be interesting because they've... Um, you can clearly cleave the series in, in two at that point because it's now in the Mark Wahlberg universe. And I think the most uh, interesting thing with, with Transformers is they came out really fast. Uh, they're very expensive. They're very successful. And yet the most recent one... Uh, was a uh, the last night? I think is that right? Uh, yes, yes, it was. Um, I'm gonna look up something. Can you talk about something Transformers for a second? What what made you want to look at the Shia LaBeouf films? Because I thought you hate these pictures. Oh no, no, I, I I well, okay. I've only I've only seen beginning to end the first one, and I did not like it at all. But I feel like I, I, this is such an established franchise now. I felt it, it is definitely something that that we should look into for the show. Mm -hmm. um, but in in addition to that. You know, Transformers is something that's been a part of my life for for quite some time. So it's, it's, it's. I I really feel like I I, I want to do a. I have long wanted to do a series where we can talk about nostalgia letting us down, or at ah, least letting okay. me down. I don't know. I don't yep. know your feelings about these movies. I, I have not seen them in a while. I saw the first one in theaters twice, but the second time was I was uh, dragging a girl to a date and that sort of we ended up fighting through the whole movie so that was fun um anyway that was a long time ago geez um I, i'm looking and what i was going to say the interesting thing is the most recent film uh last night uh worldwide gross 605 million and that's considered a disappointment uh when um the the last film in the series number four age of extinction made 1.1 billion worldwide Ooh. So, you know, almost uh, almost half the gross of the previous one. So I think there's a bit of Transformers fatigue. Despite that, um, before doing... The, this is I'll, I'll stop this tangent soon. But before doing The Last <laughs> Night, the uh, a, as they've been doing in movies lately, they get a group of writers, much like you do in a TV show, and sort of hash out the plan for the next 10, 15 years of movies. And, and how they tie in, sort of like a big picture thing. 
So are they still going to... I know it's they have filmed a uh, Bumblebee movie that's going to take place in the 80s. And I, I guess we'll see a few more Transformers after that. I mean, they keep on shitting out Pirates the Caribbean movies, right? So I guess Transformers is going to stay on the big screen for now. Well, there's also the long gestating Transformers G.I. Joe crossover. I, I mean, yes, but... Uh, God. You know what I want to see? What? They did a comic book, G.I. Joe versus Street Fighter. I want to see that as a movie. <laughs> That's my kind of stupid. Okay. Uh, so anyway, yeah, next uh, time we'll be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And in a few weeks we'll be starting uh, a look at the uh, Transformer Shia LaBeouf trilogy for a sequel cast 2. This is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. There were never such devoted sisters. <laughs>